you're going to use this money, you have to dedicate a certain amount to like environmental cleanup and environmental protection, traffic studies. You have to create high paying jobs. Good morning and welcome back to The Daily Buzz. I'm Sage Miller, your host. After more than a year of deliberation, the Utah Supreme Court ruled that the controversial inland port is not unconstitutional. I spoke with the Tribune's land and water reporter, Leah Larson, about the verdict and what it means for the inland port moving forward. Hey, Leah, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So inland port, big thing, very convoluted, bunch of stuff going on. Let's just start by you explaining to me exactly what the inland port is like I'm in kindergarten. (laughs) All right, I will do my best. So the inland port is this large land area that is mostly in Salt Lake City's northwest quadrant, where they're basically taking advantage of the fact that our international airport is growing. Union Pacific has this big intermodal hub And then now we have the state prison out there. So we've built all this infrastructure that things can now hook into that weren't there before, essentially. So they want to turn it into this big port, a dry port. That's why it's called an inland port, where they're just shipping um, things in by train and transloading it into trucks and vice versa, just moving cargo around. So it'll be like a, a big dry land port up there. All right. It seems to be pretty controversial. The city of Salt Lake filed a lawsuit against the state and the Utah Inland Port Authority. It's gotten into the hands of the Supreme Court. So what exactly was Salt Lake City arguing that was unconstitutional about the port? Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to explain this without like putting you to sleep and getting into the weeds of like the law. (laughs) So what the legislature did when they created the Inland Port and the Port Authority was they said, Okay, Salt Lake City and portions of West Valley Magna, but Salt Lake City is the main city that's affected here. Okay, you have to allow this port. You have to, like, you can't put any zoning or, you know, restrictions in place that won't allow it to be formed and for this thing to to get happening. And significantly, you have to allow for the loading and transportation and storage of quote unquote natural resources in the Port Authority jurisdiction. And on top of that, you have to give them a big chunk of your sales tax, mostly property tax to property tax revenue that would otherwise have gone to you from this jurisdictional area. You have to give it to the Port Authority so they have a budget and money they can use to you know, meet their goals. So Salt Lake City said that that was unconstitutional because there's a provision in the Utah Constitution that's called the Uniform Operation of Laws Clause. It's kind of like the equivalent of U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Law, where you can't treat somebody or in this case a city unfairly compared to others and then there was a second provision in the constitution called the ripper clause which um says that you can't delegate a municipal government's like taxing authority land use authority you can't take that and give it to some like commission or board you can't take their authority away from them and give them to somebody else so those are salt lake city's arguments On the other side of that, what was the Utah Inland Port Authority and the state arguing to say, nope, this is absolutely constitutional? (laughs) Well, I think their argument was that actually we haven't taken like your land use authority away from you. You can you can still approve the land use permit applications and the building permit applications. We're just saying you have to allow for the port. And um, I also think that their argument would be that the taxing authority is not unconstitutional either because it's going to further the state's goals and like bring in economic development to the state. 
in the end, the Utah Supreme Court took a look at the Inland Port and was like, we're going to side with the Inland Port Authority. How exactly did the Utah Supreme Court come to that decision? So the court's argument, so they applied like a three-point analysis to it that I guess they've used in other cases. So it's kind of been like their standard practice in considering whether this applies was number one, did the legislature in creating the Utah Inland Port Authority create a special classification uh, of people or in this case cities? And they determined that, yes, they had to Salt Lake City, West Valley, Magna by saying they had to allow the port. Number two, uh, did they treat this classification unfairly? And the court determined that, yes, they were being treated unfairly compared to any other city because the other cities aren't all being told that they have to host it in the port. But number three, did it serve a legitimate legislative purpose? And they determined that, yes, actually it did because, it, you know, of those economic studies and things the state had done. So because it had met this legitimate legislative purpose, they, they basically ruled in favor for the Port Authority in the state of Utah. And then on the Ripper Clause, they kind of sided with the state in saying that by creating the Inland Port Authority, they didn't take away Salt Lake City's ability to, you know, have land use authority in this area. They just told them that they had to allow the Inland Port, but they didn't give then give the Inland Port like the state's authority to determine the land use in the area. <laughs> one thing they did not decide on was one big point of contention that Salt Lake City has had, and that is their tax revenue whether it was constitutional for them to be handing over the Port Authority, like this big chunk of money that they would have gotten from the property taxes out there. So the court decided not to make a decision on that or look at it because this legislative session, lawmakers revised the act that formed the Port Authority and said that the Port Authority now has to work with Salt Lake City and the impacted cities to come to some agreement before they use that money and Salt Lake City negotiated with them and said, you know, if you're going to use this money, you have to dedicate a certain amount to like environmental cleanup and environmental protection, traffic studies, you have to create high paying jobs, things like that. That agreement has not been reached yet, as far as I know, but that is before the Port Authority can use their money, they have to come to agreement there, according to the law as it currently is. Ultimately, the Utah Supreme Court gave the green light for this inland port to continue development. What should we expect next? Oh, you know, that's so hard to say because the Inland Port Authority isn't the most transparent, I would say. they, For example, they just approved their budget for their coming fiscal year. And there's like no no detail in it. It's hard, it's hard to know what's happening. And we do know vaguely from like a high level that they're going to build a transloading facility to help, you know, move that cargo from trucks to trains and vice versa, like I mentioned. We know that they're trying to build this thing called the Intelligent Crossroads Network, where they're going to be monitoring traffic and where all the cargo is and build the logistics system that way. We know that they really want to build like this alternative fueling station, but there's just like not a lot of detail about any of this, how much it's going to cost the taxpayers of Salt Lake City. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens next. Yeah, I guess we will wait and see. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leah, for breaking down this very complicated ruling for us. You bet. Thanks, Leah. Next, Women's Issues reporter Becky Jacobs explains why Planned Parenthood is looking to extend the hold on Utah's abortion trigger law and what one lawmaker wants to change about the law as a whole. 
Planned Parenthood Association of Utah is asking a judge to keep the state's trigger law on hold until their lawsuit is resolved. The group already got the judge to grant a temporary restraining order on Monday, blocking the law, which banned most abortions in the state, from being enforced for the next two weeks. Now they want that to be extended, so they asked for a preliminary injunction on Wednesday. The request is part of a lawsuit that Utah's Planned Parenthood filed, arguing that the trigger law violates Utah's constitution. They argue it violates the right to privacy, among other issues. No matter what happens with the lawsuit, one Utah lawmaker wants to remove the criminal penalties that physicians face in providing abortions. Utah's trigger law says that a person who performs an abortion in violation of the law is guilty of a second-degree felony. But Representative Angela Romero says she thinks that nobody should be afraid to be penalized or prosecuted for providing scientifically sound medical advice. The Democratic race for state Senate is still too close to call. But as of Thursday afternoon, Jen Plum took the lead from an incumbent, Derek Kitchen, who now trails by just 63 votes. The next ballot drop is expected Friday after 3 p.m. And maybe, just maybe, there will be a winner. Check sltrib.com for the latest updates on the race. And that's it for The Daily Buzz. Today's episode was edited by me, Sage Miller, and as always, a hearty thank you to the Pelicans for our music. We'll be back Monday to bring you the biggest headlines of the day. 